0: Today is January 20th, 2023. Welcome once again to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannan. I'm a volunteer with Chapter 49 in the area of communications. Uh, Most of my duties revolve around this this podcast. We try to keep it weekly. Uh, We didn't do it last week. I'm going to bring in Duncan Giles, our chapter president, uh, my partner on all these podcasts. So, Duncan, dare I tell people why we couldn't uh, do a podcast last week? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, being the retired guy, I mostly am. Of course, mm-hmm. I say I'm the I'm most, I'm, a lot of people I know locally say that I am the busiest retired guy they've ever seen. But sometimes I do actually act like I'm retired. So my wife Jane and I decided to take a respite from winter weather and we went down to Key West, Florida and uh, spent a few days down there. So that's why we could not record last week. I was not in town, but I am back. And uh, I guess... uh, I'm being paid back because it's getting colder again here, but that's okay. I, I earned that, right? <laughs> from being away for a week.
1: <laughs> You're going to have to suffer through it after the week you had last week. Sorry, uh,
0: it was uh, <laughs> it was great. Uh, Key West is such a wonderful place. Got a chance to see the uh, the, the Southern White House that Harry Truman used. Uh, he when he would get away from the White House, almost every president has some place they go away from the White House to get away. For periods of time, and every almost every president has that. And for Harry Truman, he fell in love with Key West when he went there to inspect, I think it was a military installation there at the time many years ago. And decided he would set up his White House away from the White House at Key West. So I got a chance to tour that. That was one place I was not allowed to take pictures inside the building, which is interesting. But it was, yeah. a, it was a really uh, interesting uh, Tour and got to see the Ernest Hemingway House. I got to see the room where he wrote the majority of his books while he was living in Key West. That was one of many homes that uh, that that great author had, and some of the best uh, food I've had in a while. You want to see uh, uh, and f- taste a really great Key Lime Pie, Key Lime Pie if I can say it right. Uh, go to Key West, Florida. It's it's the best there ever is. The other thing is, when you walk around Key West. There's one thing you see all over town, roosters. They just walk around all over the place. And the other part of it is, if you're trying to sleep in Key West, they tend to go off like three or four in the morning, so you don't always, don't always <laughs> get a good night's sleep. But leaving that aside, that's my personal suggestion. I just wanted to explain to people why we did not have a podcast last week. You know, Duncan took time off for his user lose at the end of, of 2022, and I had that long planned trip uh, to Key West and uh, going to Southern Florida for a few days. So I am back, and, and Duncan, of course, is back. And guess what else is back? The debt ceiling. The debt ceiling is something we've talked about for a few weeks. Uh, The last time we had a serious threat to breach the debt ceiling was in 2011. And I've mentioned before that I was a manager at the time, and the instructions I was getting from the management chain was mostly, we really don't know what's going to happen. Now, you would think after, what, 10, 11 years, the government would have a plan. No, (laughs) there's nobody knows what will happen. We technically, as a government, reached the debt ceiling on the day before we record this, January 19th. But what the Treasury is able to do is do something that they describe as taking extraordinary measures. So I guess I would start the conversation, Duncan, by having you explain what those extraordinary measures are and how it does and maybe does not impact federal employees.
1: Yeah, the biggest thing that uh, extraordinary measures impacts federal employees is the G fund in the Thrift Savings Plan, the TSP, that basically, you know, they don't provide any interest on that. Now, they'll make it whole once the debt ceiling is raised, but until then, you're not going to see that grow. And that's just one of the things that uh, basically they're trying to rob Peter to pay Paul until they can get the debt ceiling raised.
0: So that is an extraordinary matter. There are many of those. That's probably the one that impacts federal employees the most. So if I go in and check my Thrift Savings Plan account, will it not show that interest uh, up between now and the time this is all settled?
1: Correct. You won't see additional interest being uh, on there. But like I said, it will be uh, put back once, once once the dust settles and this is corrected.
0: Yeah, and I think that we want to remind people, and you've mentioned this before, we'll mention it again. Uh, the, the debate in Congress is about cutting spending, but the debt ceiling is about money that's already been appropriated and spent. This is just a matter, it's like you, you buy a mortgage to, to move into your house, and you have your house, you've really made that commitment, and it's like you stop paying your mortgage payments. That's probably the best. Uh, example you can give that might relate to anybody as to what the government is saying here. Without a debt ceiling uh, raised, uh, the government's saying we have no authority to pay the bills that we've already incurred.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, how I explained it this morning uh, to my awesome lady Kim was, you know, let's say that you've got a credit card and, you know, you say, okay, we need our credit cards getting too high. We need to have a discussion on what we're going to Spend going forward. But until then, we're not going to pay the credit card interest anymore. You can't do that. And I'd like to lay some facts and figures out. You know, you hear, oh, wait, this reckless spending that's been going on. Okay. Uh, the Biden administration, the current administration, right now uh, amounts to 2% of the debt ceiling. So basically, the other 98% was done before then. The debt ceiling consists of. Basically, 63% of mandatory spending, 30% of discretionary spending, which is where they're arguing about, and 7% roughly on the debt. And out of the 30% discretionary spending, 14% of that is on the military. So 16% is basically what we're talking about here. So we're just talking about federal government employees like us, you know, the basic agencies funding the agencies things of that nature um and it just gets to be in to me a ridiculous exercise it's truly ridiculous exercise this is money that's already been appropriated already been laid out and you need to pay the interest on this otherwise there are going to be some things that are going to be happening as you mentioned 2011 even the threat of a default lowered our credit rating, rattled the stock markets, hurt the economy. If they defaulted on this, it could send the economy easily into a recession, um, hurt our standings in the global world, in the global markets, and raise interest rates, a whole host of things that would just be uh, extremely unpleasant. So, you know, I understand the discussion about wanting to see where spending goes. I get that. No problem at all but you don't play Russian roulette with six loaded bullets in the gun with the debt ceiling, to me.
0: Yeah, and and what we have to keep in mind here is that uh, every economist that has any credential at all, conservative, moderate, or liberal, it doesn't make any difference, they all say the same thing. This would be catastrophic for the economy. So that's the message we're giving people uh, it appears these extraordinary measures will put this off until June. Of course, Congress can't do anything unless there's a drop-dead deadline facing them, right? And uh, <laughs> it looks like it's going to be June, although that's not a, a solid uh, projection. It could be earlier or a little later than that. But we think it's June at this time. So uh, we just hope that—how uh, should I put it— The people with sane uh, outlooks will prevail in the end. This is this is something we yeah. should not have to go through.
1: Right. We don't want to get into a situation where federal employees are, you know, having to be sent to work and being told they'll get paid later or worse yet being furloughed for a time period until this gets settled. This is something that needs to get taken care of now.
0: So we, it's not just federal employees, although we're a big part of it. It, it, it really impacts so many different parts of the economy. Well, oh.
1: St- exactly. I'm just speaking for the our audience.
0: Yeah, we'll speak to what impacts all of of, of us. And as a retiree, Duncan, there's no guarantee my pension's going to be paid. You know, I've got money in the G. That fund. is correct. I've got money in the G fund. You know, so uh, and you know, I got money in the stock market too. Not a large amount, but I've got enough that I could should be concerned about. You know, what the bond market and the stock market. As a retiree, even what have normally been called safe investments may not be safe if this whole thing blows up. So debt ceiling is no small thing. It impacts a lot of the economy, but it has a, a particular impact possibly on federal employees and, and retirees. So um, just wanted to make sure everybody had an update on that. Something else that's happening, Duncan, uh, NTU does its very best to inform the members of the union but NTU is starting up something new: some webinars. And a webinar, if you don't know what that is, is just sort of a training class on the internet. Uh, there's a there's a series of webinars coming up on discrimination in the workplace. Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, there's going to be one coming up in a few days here in January, and another one in February. And these are um, basically, you know, NTU National, which deals with us in courts in. Um, in negotiations, things of that nature, and working with EEO is going to be putting on these two webinars to basically show people what discrimination might look like in the workplace, so you can recognize it. And if you do have that type of issue, you can reach out to your NTU representative, or if you feel that you want to go EEO that route as well. Um, these are two um, these two webinars. Are going to be something you're going to have to take on your own time and on your own equipment. The IRS is not giving you any time, and they can't. The firewall will prevent it, but from that. But this is just some good information. If you're ever concerned about, you know, am I being discriminated against, or is there workplace harassment, or you know, hostile work environment, things of that nature, this is what these types of webinars are going to be talking about, and they're going to be led by people who are very knowledgeable in the field. So it's good information for folks, um, you know, to educate themselves if they have those types of questions.
0: So, Duncan, just speaking to our chapter here in Indiana, how often do you see uh, an issue such as discrimination in the workplace rear its ugly head here?
1: Um, it's much, much, much less prevalent than it used to be, say, 15 years ago, I would say. Um, occasionally, it does appear that it happens Um, that somebody is targeted due to a specific reason, Um, but you have to get behind that. And as I've told people, and this has happened a couple of times, no, your manager is not targeting you. They're just bad to everyone. Um, You know, that happens or, you know, they're not targeting you. You're just not doing what you need to be doing. That happens as well. So we're not seeing a whole lot of that here, but that's not from what I hear the same across the country and results vary. You know, management up and down the chain, they're human beings. You're going to have some great managers. You're going to have a lot of good managers. You're going to have a lot that are, you know, just there. And you're going to have some that are bad. And those bad ones give a, uh, you know, a bad taste to everyone in You know, in the organization, and we want to make sure that employees are not being harmed by actions of others that uh, specifically go against things like the United States Code.
0: So it's good to know this. Uh, You can always talk to a chapter official if you have an issue, but knowing what it is when you see it, knowing when it's time to to bring in a union official – uh, that's a good thing to know. So once again, these webinars are being, how does one find out more about these webinars, when there will be and how to sign up?
1: Uh, NTU has sent out something to all its members um, via email on this. But if you have a question, uh, you know, about when it is or whether it might benefit you, something of that nature, absolutely contact, you know, if you're a member of chapter 49, feel free to contact me about more information or contact your local chapter leader They'll be more than happy to let you know what's going on and uh, when the two of them are, like, say, one of them's just coming up in a few days, um, and then you've got the other one in February. And will NTU National do more of that? I don't know, but I think it's a good idea, and I think they very well good on different subjects.
0: Okay, very good. Thanks. Th- thanks for the update on that. Everybody gets a heads-up. Check your email if it's something of interest to you. I well, have a couple of things I want to say about the Inflation Reduction Act that that was passed some time ago, and what it did is is provide over eight years eighty billion dollars of extra money for the Internal Revenue Service, and so then the question was how is the IRS going to spend that money? Well, first, before I get into that, uh, we'll once again mention something we've mentioned on previous podcasts. There's been a lot of noise in Congress and votes in the House. You know, either th- I'm not sure if they even had one, but they talked about it to rescind that $80 billion for IRS funding in the Inflation Reduction Act. And just remember, we have a system of democracy in this country where if you want to enact something, it has to be uh, passed in both houses of Congress and signed by the president unless there's an override of a veto, which takes a lot of votes in the Congress to do that. Well, the House, even if the House votes, and then we're not sure they would, uh, to rescind that $80 billion for IRS over eight years, uh, the Senate would have to go along, the president would have to sign off on it, and so far the Senate, a majority of the Senate, and the president have both said they don't want to do this. So even if the House votes for it, that doesn't mean that money is going to be taken away. I think we want to just repeat that. We've said that before And with all the political rhetoric going around just to understand that mm-hmm. the House is welcome to vote on it, even pass it, doesn't mean it will become law but with this inflation reduction act service has been uh, instructed by the treasury secretary Janet Yellen to put uh, a program in place as how you want to spend this money well IRS has now established a new office inflation reduction act transformation and implementation program office so it once again uh, tells you uh, that government agencies have no idea how to give a short name to anything <laughs> But uh, that is the name of the office established at the IRS. What it's supposed to do is see how this money is going to be spent. They've broken that up into four different areas, enforcement, human capital, information technology, and taxpayer services. So all this is in place. Uh, the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration is overseeing this. They've recently issued a report of what IRS is doing in this regard. How do you uh, – what's your take on all this, Duncan?
1: Well, like you said, first off, you know, if if we ever had something short-named, uh, you know, we'd both probably faint from surprise. Um, you know, this is something that does need to be administered properly. We do need to make sure the funds are going towards where they need to go, and there does need to be a plan. You know, the Treasury Secretary has said there needs to be a plan. Congress, when they passed this, wanted to make sure that there was a plan on how this is going to be spent. You know, we want to make sure that we're getting our best bang for the buck and that it's being done appropriately. And so I'm hoping, hoping that the formation of this office will be successful in getting this done and spending the money the right way and getting it done quickly to start shoring up the issues that are needed, like human capital office. They, you know, if we're bringing all these people on board, then... Yeah, it's not 57,000 revenue agents. Uh, it's, you know, all over the place. You know, we need to have people in the human capital office that can help facilitate this. We need to have, you know, our it strengthened, you know, better systems, more modern systems, things of that nature, you know, and then, you know, enforcement, we do need more revenue officers, revenue agents, tax compliance officers, you know, contrary to some views in the, uh, In the political arena or in the press, these are not jackbooted thugs coming to take your business. they are people who are going to be doing what the law tells them to do according to how the proper procedures are and, you know, making sure people are paying their fair share of tax. Same thing as we've always had. And we need to have more people in, you know, answering taxpayer questions, whether it be on the phones or in person. So hopefully they will administer this correctly and get the help to where it's needed.
0: I've seen a lot of, how should I put this? I've seen a lot written recently in the federal employee media that IRS is going to have a challenge, not just upping the uh, number of employees overall to where it was many years ago, but just filling the attrition that they have now is going to be a challenge in this particular labor market. So, So IRS needs to to have a plan and needs to follow through on this. Let's hope, as you said, that that can be done uh, correctly and in a way that will beef the service up to the kind of staffing that's needed. Okay, let's uh, move on. The tax filing season's coming up. We are recording this on January 20th. By the time you watch or listen, uh, it may already be January 23rd or after. That's when the tax filing season technically begins. IRS will begin processing current gear returns both paper and electronic uh, just based on the challenges iris has had with covid of less a couple three years uh, and uh, just the other issues involved with the backlog i wouldn't recommend somebody file by paper if they can avoid it file your taxes uh, electronically if you possibly can uh, but uh, what this the, the beginning of the tax filing season it does have an impact on IRS employees, particularly those in accounts management. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, basically the uh, phones start to get slammed where people are calling, um, you know, about their refunds, even though they filed 15 minutes ago. They're wanting to know where their refund is now. There's a tool out there. It's a wonderful tool that the IRS supplies. Where's my refund? Gives the most up-to-date information. But still, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of folks out there who contact us by phone wanting to know the information on what's going on. And so therefore, you know, there are things like they suspend for those busy periods when we know we're going to get slammed the things like read and meet time that they have in call sites um, to basically keep everybody up to date. They've said that they're not going to do any uh, updates that, you know, a tax, somebody on the phone uh, might need to know while they are uh, going through these phone calls just to try and make sure that we keep as many people on the phone as possible to answer these taxpayer questions.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that having worked in toll-free, and you did as well, uh, that's a double-edged sword because uh, even though you, you're busy and you know you, the service doesn't want the phone people taken off the phone to get these updates, there are always a slew of updates at the time of the tax filing season. So I do know that you were involved in, in the customer service agreement where there are, there's still a process where if some information really needs to get out to these assisters, there at least is some way to do that.
1: Yep, there's you know they can they can hold the meetings or they can do these things if they so choose. Now on the flip side, if you're going to get dinged for something, and this is good for anybody from council on down to service center, if you have not been trained on it or received the information on it, that is absolutely an affirmative defense. uh, If you're getting dinged for something, if you're getting you know written up saying you didn't do this on a EQ report or things of that nature. Well, you didn't do this properly. Well, I was never told about it. I was never done. Well, if that happens during these times of periods where they're not having meetings or they didn't inform you, they absolutely have to take that back because that can't be used against you in an evaluation. So there are protections in there for this type of thing.
0: Right, and that's a very good point you make, that you can't be held responsible if the IRS cancels your meetings and takes away the time to read the updates. You cannot be held responsible for that. So that makes, makes perfect sense. One thing I do want to mention here, Duncan, as you know, one of our last items here, is that NTU did something very important here in the last few days. We, you and I have talked about this inventory paper, inventory backlog, uh, that's been around for a while. And it's uh, a situation where employees were taken away from their regular job, often not their choice to work okay. this paper backlog. And it wasn't always a popular thing uh, to do. Some people volunteered for it. Others were volunteered to go in. Yeah. They we didn't have any choice, uh, what has happened is NTU you said, you know, uh, IRS employees, that backlog has largely been worked. And, you know, what we need to do as a union is to say thank you for this terrific work you've done. You got to give the management some uh, credit because they were able to, to manage it in such a way where the employees had the opportunity to get the work done. But the employees did the work. They were the people on the ground level working these cases, getting them done, closing them out correctly. So IRS employees, many of them in Indianapolis who were volunteered to go into this program, hopefully can go back to their regular jobs soon, if they haven't already. And, uh, you know, thanks for a great job well done. You should uh, you should be proud of what you've done.
1: Yeah, you know, and that just shows the type of leadership that uh, NTU has at the national level with President Tony Reardon, Vice President Doreen Greenwald, you know, this comes from the heart from them. They're very much uh, believers in employees, and they want to show their appreciation. They're they're very thankful that employees have handled this, for many of them, very difficult situation, and, you know, being thrown into something that they wanted no part of, but the, the service was basically desperate. And, you know, again, as we talked about previously, it would have been much, much, much easier if IRS had come to us well before they – you know needed the surge and said hey look we're seeing an issue here we want to talk about it figure out the best way to do it but instead it was one of those emergency type situations we're going to be throwing these people in here and they've done a wonderful job and you know i want to pass along my appreciation to everyone as well that is you know it helps either directly or indirectly clear a lot of this backlog out from the pandemic to make sure that we're getting back to an even keel. Cause that's what we're all here for is to basically help the American taxpayers right down to it. It's a job, it's a career, whatever you want to call it. But that's, that's our mission is, we want to help America's taxpayers. And by, you know, these folks doing this, they have, and other people who supported them, you know, covered for them or, you know, that sort of thing to basically assist in this. It, it's, it was a thankless job to do, but we want to make sure that they know they are thanked and appreciated. And I was very happy to see that come from national and to you.
0: Yeah. Duncan, you and I share that view of, of the national union and, and I think we need to step back, take a deep breath and just appreciate the scope and the size and the accomplishment of this work, that massive backlog and the hard work that was put in by so many IRS employees uh, to get that done. So, uh, We thank you, and the National Union thanks you. And Duncan Giles, it is time for your final comment.
1: Yeah, mine is going to be fairly quick. This past Monday, we celebrated Martin Luther King Day. And, you know, just it's a continuous fight for equality for everyone. And, you know, one of the things that I taught my my daughter, and I know that she, you know, took it to heart, and it's like, and she still uses it today is something, you know, your race, your creed, your color, your sexual orientation, your sex, none of that should matter. Are you a good person or not? And deep down, you know, that's one of the things that the Reverend King was all about. He wanted equality. He wanted everybody to be looked at as the person you are and not other factors. And so I just, I, I have a great deal of admiration for the work that he did. And I'm just glad that we have a holiday to remember it and just want to keep that in people's minds all year round,
0: and it's 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 it, it's heartening to see how many people, federal employees included, took that day off and 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 volunteered, did something important in their own community. I mean, that is the spirit of Dr. King. And even where I live in Fishers, Indiana, there were, were people who went out and did a food drive. Some of the food pantries are starting to get low, especially after the holidays. Went out and I, I don't know how many. Thousands of pounds of food were collected, but somebody had to organize that, and somebody had to volunteer to get it done as well as people willing to give. And uh, that's just one small example. And I know uh, so many people who work at the federal government took that day off and did something, uh, they call it a day off but a day on to do something important. So many people did that, and uh, gosh, that's, that's so true, Duncan. Thanks for mentioning that. My final comment goes back to a date 61 years ago. Yes, I'm old enough to, be, to remember it, although I don't remember it well. I was very old. My father remembered it very well. My father went to work in the Federal Civil Service, I think it was around 1950. And something important, he always would talk about this, happened on January 17th of 1962. President John F. Kennedy signed an executive order. Executive order number 10988, it granted federal employees the right to collectively bargain for the very first time, which was a huge step forward for people working in in the federal sector. But that laid the groundwork for an even more important uh, statute that was passed, the Civil Service Reform Act of 1978, which does pretty much lay uh, the groundwork for uh, labor relations in the federal sector. But I think if you want to really look at the beginning of unions and and how they have been able to impact the workplace and help people in the federal government, uh, that began, I think, really on January 17th of 1962, a little more than 61 years ago. And I, I want to emphasize one other thing, Duncan, you mentioned this earlier. I know NTEU, being involved in this union for a very long time, being a member from the time I started uh, with the government in 1983. Yes, we obviously worry about our members and the people in our bargaining unit. But NTEU has also been very focused on making sure that we serve the public and making sure that we do our work and make sure that these revenue agents have the tools they need to get the work done. The revenue officers have the tools they need to do the collection work and do it the right way. So, I have to give NTU credit. It's not only looking out for the people working, and that is certainly the number one issue, but they never, ever wanted to do anything that would have a negative impact on the public to the extent possible. I have to give NTU a great deal of credit for that. Duncan, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to see you, and if things go well, we will be back next week with another uh, chapter of the Chapter 49 podcast, or an episode, if you will. Once again, I just want to emphasize that Duncan and I do this podcast almost every week because you are watching and you are listening. I look at the numbers every week and you are out there. You're all over the country. A lot of people in Indiana, but people throughout the nations feel they get something out of this podcast. So Duncan and I are willing to devote our time and effort to do this because you're out there and you think what we are presenting is of some importance. So once again, thank you very much for watching and listening. And please be safe and be kind.